0: Hello, and welcome to the Recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The Recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. We are recording the February 12th episode. We're in Genesis, Mark, and Job. I love the story of Joseph. Mm-hmm. I love it with all my heart. And I was thinking about why, what is it about Joseph's story that I love so much? And I was like, it's because they like, they spend two sentences on the hard parts. Like they really... And he was sold into slavery, right? but also he got to be the head of right.
1: the Right. And with- he was in prison for years, but then, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was like, that is how I really like to tell a story. I like, <laughs> I like to experience my story with very little pain. I like to tell my story with very little pain. I feel like with other ones.
1: I think one of the things I love about the Joseph story is the way it's written. You don't have to read between the lines to find where God is. Like it says, and God was with Joseph, Mm.
0: even though this
1: God was with Joseph, God didn't forget Joseph. And so like those things combined with the way that, um, Pharaoh and some of the other characters recognize God working. I always am surprised when, Mm. especially when we're reading this portion of scripture, when really pagans from other nations, recognize, oh, your God is the real deal.
0: Yes. One of the things that stood out to me in the early part is um, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites. And I think in the other passage before it talks about the Ishmaelites too. But I think in reading it, all together in one big story it's like oh the Ishmaelites in my head reading it before it was like they were just a people you know a pagan people but now reading it all together is an overarching theory it's like no this is like a generation like this is uncle Ishmael right it's not <laughs> far yeah yeah, yeah 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 this is not like um <laughs> <laughs> uncle and, Ishmael <laughs> Right. And then, yeah. and then also um, like Egypt is one of Canaan's sons you see. And so like mm-hmm. even, even these Egyptians and this Egyptian King, like these are not very far removed from mm-hmm. those generations of, of Noah and Canaan. Yeah. And we're Ishmael. at the very
1: beginning of the, multiply and fill the earth. Yeah. Yes. And creating new nations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I picture it being like this, just enormous city of people and It can't be.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty early on. I mean, after Noah, it took a few generations for their lives to get significantly shorter, right? Yeah. But so there were long generations in between there that are uh, overlapping more. But yeah, it's relatively
0: early on. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was just kind of like, oh, gosh, this is not, these Ishmaelites are closely related to these. Mm Mm-hmm to these people, whereas in my head, they're very broken. And it's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Joseph's story is uh, riddled with dreams. I, I mm-hmm. forgot that like Joseph's dreams it are a big part. It starts out with dreams. Yeah, it starts out with dreams. Yep. And then it ends with the dreams. And right? they're fulfilled at the
1: end. Yeah. Yes.
0: And he remembers that, like his brothers are bowing down. Bowing to him down. He's like, yep. Oh, of course they are. He's right. God said this was going to happen.
1: Well, and can you imagine being the brothers? Like, I think that would be incredible to be Joseph and to see that be fulfilled, but like to be his brothers and think we got rid of this guy because of these dreams, because he made us mad. Yes. And I mean, he was definitely the favorite, like there's obvious jealousy happening and legit legitimately. So I think, but can you imagine being those brothers and realizing when Joseph reveals himself immediately, I'm sure they were taken right back to that day in the field when they sold mm-hmm. him and were mad about the dreams and what he said was going to happen. And here it, they're in it.
0: And they're like, this is for our salvation. Like this right. thing that, was, that we thought was all about pride was mm-hmm. for our salvation. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know. I hadn't actually considered that before, but holy cow. Yeah. That's I'm picturing the feast afterwards where they're like and then this like they just have must have been in awe of God that's the way Joseph just says it like God meant this for good like he he easily sees it like oh yeah this all had to happen so that the dream that I had that Mm -hmm. caused it in the first place could all be fulfilled and Mm -hmm. then they're all just like picturing all 12 of them just talking with such amazement and awe of how God writes a story I just wanted to take a short break to let you know that we have a brand new community of believers on our Dive Collective Network. If you're looking for a more in-depth Bible study, we offer what we call Dive Studies. Right now, we're going through the book of Genesis in eight-week sections, and we'd love to have you join us. We have weekly meetings via Zoom. So if you're looking to go further in your studies, I highly recommend that you come and see us at divecollective.org for more information you just take a look at Joseph's life, which is where most people spend most of their time on Joseph is not necessarily pondering the brothers and the dad, right? But really Joseph's life is the big lesson. He was the favored one. He gets sold into slavery and go in and being sold into slavery. He goes pretty directly to this really um, powerful man's house and becomes head of the household basically the guy says I don't have he says I don't have to worry about anything because Joseph's in charge all he had to worry about I think it says all he ever had to worry about was what he was going to eat because yeah. three meals a day that's it yes <laughs> Joseph had God's favor and God was giving him his favor all the time and then he goes to prison and how to like that would have been a terrible place but even in that he's elevated and he's in charge of those prisoners and so it's like looking at God, all these things that look meaningless or dark or whatever, God's building his resume. Like he's Mm -hmm. making him better and more prepared for the next thing. Mm -hmm. So he goes from leadership to leadership really as he's the youngest brother, but then he ends up actually Benjamin's Mm -hmm. the youngest brother. Benjamin's the youngest. Yeah. Yeah. But he ends up in charge of all of Egypt and delivering his brothers.
1: Yeah. I think Joseph is another place where we see Christ too. Joseph being the favored one, like Jesus is the beloved son. He's brought low and raised high for, he's brought low for the deliverance of his, his people, people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's an, another parallel of what God is going to do in Jesus.
0: That's so good. So then the the last thing from Joseph's life that I love is um, the name of Ephraim. That's a very personal to me because I just, I remember reading that while I was going through just a crappy time in Guantanamo Bay and how I got to take part in what seemed like really fruitful ministry in Guantanamo Mm -hmm. Bay. But I was also going through like really, really um, emotionally difficult stuff. Like it was probably the most trying time of my life emotionally. So when I read Ephraim, when I was reading the story and I came upon the meaning of Ephraim's name, I will bear fruit in the land of my affliction. I wanted to get that tattooed all over me. Like, yeah. It just felt so redemptive. Like mm-hmm. It was just very redemptive. Anyway, should we go to Job? Go to Job. Yeah, Job 5 through 11. This is, okay. I'm going to give an overview because I really want to hear like the more detailed thoughts from you. Job feels hard for me to like get a grasp on the middle section mm-hmm. because there's so much of it that's like, that's true, oh, yes. but that's not that yes that, that oversteps. Yep. But that's yep. good. Oh, but that oversteps. Yeah, and I feel like so I've, I I kind of like chalk that this entire many many chapters up to that up till now Elihu. I'm gonna look at Elihu a little closer now because I feel like yes yeah. um there's something there that I have always missed. Because I've just chalked Elihu up to one. I can't one of the wait friends. to read
1: him in the message.
0: I know. I'm so because I was like,
1: yes, I like this dude.
0: So anyway, anyway. I was that's kind of how I so I kinda like read through this really fast and I pull yep. out stuff that I'm like, that is so good. And that it's really funny though, because I really had the thought completely separate from Job at one point this past week where I was like man, I am getting just as much wrong as I am getting right. I think in some of these things that I'm saying to, to people, it's like, I was mm-hmm. just in this, why do I even bother? Because it just was like, it ca- it was like this humbling, like, am I even helpful if, if what I'm saying is true, but like half of it isn't like, what's, yeah? what's the point? <sighs> I think I was giving somebody encouragement is what it was. I was like, I really feel like I think I was saying like, I really feel like God wants me to tell you blah, 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 blah. And then when I went back and I was like, is that really what I felt like God wanted me to tell them? Or was like half of that, what God wanted me yeah. to tell them. And the other half was like something that's like really good. Mm-hmm, but it's me. But it's me. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So then I was reading Job and I was like, well, there it is. Like, yeah. this is, this is, this is me. Like, yeah. this is me saying things that are really good, but not necessarily right. Yeah. I am
1: right there with you because I feel like this middle section of Job, I've always loved Job, but I love the end of Job when God speaks. Like that's what I've, and so in my mind, this middle part is like just all wrong. Like they're yes. they're all just saying the wrong stuff. Like we know in the end, because God speaks that he clarifies all these things that Job's three friends are saying and accusing him of. And yet, as I'm reading through it this time, like, you're, just like you said, they are. there are lots of things that they understand about God and who God is, yeah. but there's a lot of stuff that they don't get. Like when Job's friends speak, and even some of the things that Job questions, mostly what his friends are saying, it's super like prosperity gospel. Yes. Job, if you were doing the right thing, God would give you all of this. You'd never have to worry about yes. anything. No one would touch you. No one would attack you. Like It's very, which then made me question... Lots of questions were prompted in me, but before I get to that, I when you were talking about how with Job's friends, like some of what they say is right and some of what they say isn't, and when you had that conversation, okay, I told you I'm listening through Mere Christianity right now, C.S. Uh-huh. Lewis. he did this thing, and it. I just thought when he when I listened to it, I was like, that man is incredible, I love him, he's so great. But what it what you just said reminded me of it, he's talking about. If you haven't read *Mere Christianity*, he basically is breaking down the basics, the gospel, what Christianity is—super basic—and he's very logical and in everything that he does. Like if this, then this. Like everything just naturally flows into the next chapter and the next thought. But he's—he was talking about sin, and I don't even remember what it was, but he was talking about how this one thing is kind of like the root, like the, the one sin that is kind of the root of what everyone, where everything comes out of. And then literally the next chapter, he starts talking about pride. And he says, now in the last chapter, I said this, but I'm pretty sure I was wrong. That isn't the root. It's actually this, like it's actually pride. And I just thought it was really cool. I appreciated so much that he left that in there because you could follow his thought process and it clarified it so much because Mary Christianity is based on a series of talks that he did that he compiled into a book. But I love that he didn't like go back and erase it or change the way he said it or Mm. like fix that thing. It was like, it was like this progression and it, even though he maybe wasn't thinking through it correctly, what he was saying, it, fed his next argument. You know what I mean? And it made, I just just thought it was really cool that someone like that would, I mean, he's super humble to, to let the world know like, okay, that's what I thought then, but now I've thought through it a little further and I've landed somewhere else. And
0: one of my favorite things, moments in all of the times I've watched Beth Moore teach is when she was talking about something. And i She was like, I was halfway into my talk and I'm rolling and I said this thing. And she's like, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit had left 30 minutes before. And Mm -hmm. she was like, she's like, because this is what is true. And I agree. There's something about when somebody that's really held as an authority in the faith, Mm -hmm. Beth Moore, C.S. Lewis, comes back and says, I had it kind of right. But yeah, it's close here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then like just that explanation of like how they got to the new, like I, it's just so helpful. And I just really feels attainable. It. It feel, yes. And it feels, yeah, attainable. It just feels really real. And
0: yeah, it's a process. Anyway, it's a process. It is a process. For All of us, including It is them. a process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Job, when I was like asking questions as I was reading about like what their worldview would have been, like how did they view God? How did they get to what they knew or believed about God? It made me mean, question the timeline again because I'm like, okay, Abraham, how much did they know about the promise? That's mm-hmm. my question. How much did they know about the promise? And because in Job 9, Job 9 has lots of really awesome stuff in it, but the very end, Job says, God and I are not equals. I can't bring a case against him. We'll never mm-hmm. enter a courtroom as peers. How I wish we had an arbitrator to step in and let me get on with life, to break uh. God's death grip on me, to free me from this terror so I could breathe again. Then I'd speak up and state my case boldly. As things stand, there's no way I can do it. And I read that Stop and I was it. Like, Jesus! Like yes. I mean, I just That's so good. Was like what how what was their grasp on the promise? So then it had me digging a little bit into like genealogies and it's possible that job was like the great 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 grandson or something of abraham like he's connected it's possible that he's connected to esau's line Mm.
0: um
1: and not that far away
0: job is connected to esau's line okay i knew you were saying that
1: right so Eliphaz eliphaz
0: might be yeah
1: might be esau's son which in what i read this week makes it seem less likely that he's the son, like maybe like a few generations later, but there was an Eliphaz and a Taman. Esau has a son Eliphaz and Eliphaz has a son Taman. And in Job, Job's friend is Eliphaz the Tamanite. So it's possible that it wasn't like right there, but like, yeah, there's like, they create this Taman and Eliphaz is like a family name. and, And it's possible that Job, I forget all the reasonings. There's like a king of Edom, who is this, uh-huh. Edomites are descended from Esau, who was named like Jobab or something like that. And so that's a possibility. So interesting. Um, yeah. So anyway, I just, now I'm reading it as like, how much did they understand the promise? And it's made me think, I'm like looking forward to reading this week's reading in Job, like with what I'm thinking through in my mind and just some of the question. I don't think I'm going to come I don't think I'm going to have answers. Like I just it's just interesting to me to think through where they are and what they're thinking as I question, love that Job.
0: question. I love that you had that question and that framed that verse from chapter 9. I love that so much. That's a good right. one. Word. And in
1: 7, like there's so there were several things where Job in 7 says, "Why don't you just forgive my sins and start me off with a clean slate?" And I'm like, we have that. Like, that's what mm-hmm. that's what he does for us now. He forgives our sins and wipes it clean.
0: Yeah, and so the thing
1: that he's longing for, right? God's plan is that all along. Yeah, it's interesting to me that these all these things that Job is wrestling with and questioning are legitimate, like there's still questions that we ask with reason that we should ask these things of God, like it's okay for us to wrestle with these things with God, I think, even though we have, like we're on the other side of the gospel, like of history in the gospel.
0: Yeah, it almost makes you wonder, like it makes you think, like I wonder if these were prayers, like I wonder if these are prayers that Job prayed, if part of the gospel story is like, prayers that Job prayed answers to these prayers that he was praying and his suffering. I don't, yeah. I mean, obviously it was the plan that God had all along. Yeah. But that's the question you always have about like the prayers that God answers that mm-hmm. were his plan all along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sovereign God and our prayers. But it's kind of cool to think about Job interceding at that point for sure. exactly what God, yeah, yeah, exactly what God planned to do, which was to wipe our slate clean yeah. and provide a mediator and, Right. Yes. So good. Yeah. I that, have a lot of that chapter underlined. Chapter nine? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Chapter nine was so good. There's gospel in there. There's psalms in there. Like you were saying, like those laments and those prayers. There's Ecclesiastes in there. Like, There's just so much mm-hmm. in those questions that he's asking.
0: Mark, starting in chapter nine. Oh,
1: yeah. There was some good stuff in Mark this week. It's good Okay,
0: so one of so we just studied Mark. So there's a lot of things in here that I'm just like really excited about, like really excited about that I'd never seen before and they're important. Like the temple scene. Jesus entering the temple. You imagine that Jesus is going about his merry way and then he enters the temple and he just turns everything upside down because he's mad because he sees that they're a den of thieves. Well, in chapter 11, in verse 11, he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. It wasn't like a
1: momentary rage. He walked in and just lost it. Yeah.
0: Yes. He walked in, looked around and was like, I've got to come back and deal with this. Like, the, And I think about how much I'm uh-huh. noticing the time that God takes between when he sees something or he notices something, not that he didn't notice it before, but like when he takes notice that it's time to deal with something. Mm -hmm. And before he actually does the thing, like God remembered Noah on the water Mm -hmm. and then 150 days, the water's receding before Mm -hmm. he even opens the window. Mm -hmm. So it's like just that he's precise. Mm -hmm. precise. His timing is precise. Mm -hmm. It's never unplanned or unthought out, like Jesus went to the temple to overturn tables, but that's period. There's no rage. Right. Exactly. Like he just lost control
1: and reacted. Yeah.
0: Yes. And then in chapter 12, he's flipping over the tables. He does this thing. And now he's like in this teaching time Mm -hmm. with the scribes and the Pharisees and he's teaching them and they ask him, um, which is the most important commandment of all? Like I've used this verse when somebody comes and they're like, I'm dealing with this thing in my life and I don't know what to do because I don't know what's right and what's wrong Mm -hmm. in, in this situation, what the Bible says about it and how I'm supposed to deal with it. I feel like it feels muddy and unclear. And to be able to respond to somebody who's in that place of like, just muddy, I don't know what to do kind of thing to be able to go like, Jesus boiled it down. To two things for mm-hmm. a reason, because it does get muddy. All the mm-hmm. rules and all the ways that we're supposed to handle things can be super confusing. And sometimes we just don't know what the next thing is, but we know that we are to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might and love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we're doing those things, especially if we know that our heart is like really surrendered to like, to God He'll, Mm -hmm. he'll do, he takes care of the rest. He'll show Mm -hmm. us what's the right next, the next right thing. Like our heart just needs to be surrendered to him Mm -hmm. and trust what a gift Jesus gave us in that, like here, like it all funnels down to right these two things. If you can hold these two things, the rest will work itself out. Mm -hmm. And I believe that with all my heart, that's true for so many things. You know, people come to the church and there's, and, and the church doesn't know how to handle people in their sin gently and lovingly. And it's like, man, like, I think there's, I think that's why he gave us those two things. It's like, mm-hmm. even if we do it all wrong, even if we don't handle it right, like he wanted to, if our heart was to love God and to love them well, do you know what I mean? If we make mistakes yeah. along the way. Right. Cause love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Yes. Did <laughs> Jesus say
1: that? I'm that, uh, I I like, James? that's popping into my head, but I don't no. know where from
0: is it even in the bible i think it is jesus okay. Hold on. it's first peter oh above all I love mean, each Peter's other deeply close. because love covers over a multitude yeah. of sins. that's a favorite moment
1: mm-hmm. which reminds me of one of my favorite things that i've never ever noticed before that i can remember um and i even looked at it in esp because i'm like is this just I'm noticing this because it's only in this version or have I just missed it? And I just have missed it because it's also in the ESV. But in chapter 10, when the rich, the rich young ruler comes up and asks Jesus, like, how do I get to heaven? Jesus, it says, Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. And I've never noticed that before. Like, I feel like when I think of this, it feels Even in Jesus's response, I've always heard condemnation.
0: Mm -hmm. You know what I mean?
1: Like, well, if you're, you have to go sell everything. Like it just never kind of clicked fully. Mm -hmm. But the fact that Jesus looked at him and loved him before he responded, I don't know. I just.
0: It makes me think of the way that I now see Nicodemus after watching The Chosen. Mm. Those exchanges. Have you watched that scene? Have I've you watched all of them? I've seen a couple. No, I've seen Nicodemus uh, a little bit, but I haven't gotten all the way. Yeah. Oh, you should see the moment when Nicodemus chooses not to follow him. Oh, it's so powerful. Like it's so powerful because the love between them is palpable. It's so good.
1: That he loved him. Yeah. Even when he Whether, walked away. Yes. Yeah.
0: Deeply. Yep. So that's anyway, that's a perfect picture. If you ever see that scene, that's a neat scene for me to like trans. It's easy for me to translate that to the scene that you're talking about here. where He's talking to the rich young ruler and he loved him deeply. He didn't have to follow him to be loved by Jesus deeply. Yes. He was just loved by Jesus deeply. Mm -hmm. I know that most people's favorite scene is the woman who's bleeding 12 years there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. I feel like all of my friends I love I love it favorite and yeah. yeah I think after having studied Mark my favorite scene is at the end of chapter 12 when he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny And he called his disciples to him. I love this, picturing this, like Jesus is sitting across from the treasury box and all these people are passing, unaware that they're being watched. And he's watching. And when he sees her put in those pennies, he calls his disciples to him and says to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now he's not condemning the other people who Mm -hmm. put in less. He's literally just drawing his disciples to rejoice over this woman who has no idea that she's being rejoiced over. That's so encouraging to me even right now, as I think about, I was, I just said to Jeff last night, I was like, I think I really just, I'm longing for some encouragement and affirmation. Whatever his response was, it led me to, to say like, I mean, I'm still going to do it. I just don't enjoy it as much. Without it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, that seems significant. I don't know what it says, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's significant. And so, you know, in light of that, reading that passage right there, God sees like he's that watching. The Father's rejoicing. Yeah. Yes. He's watching from across. And even if like nobody else sees and nobody else encourages me, like he sees that I'm putting everything, all of my extra resources are going in the box. Like, and he sees mm-hmm. that and he's calling the saints in heaven together and he's like, Mm -hmm. you know what you mean? Like that. Oh, I just, for somebody who loves and craves affirmation, that's just, that scene is, it's my new favorite scene. Yeah. I love it so much. I just don't, I guess I don't want to pass on this, this part you know there's certain details of the crucifixion and what's Mm -hmm. happening at the crucifixion that like i mean it gets dark for three hours there's so Mm -hmm. many things that are miraculous and amazing but that curtain being torn—that that is my favorite detail in the whole thing because the sim, the symbolism and what that meant
1: yep yeah the significance of that and what that's one of the things i love about hebrews is how really digs into that and what it means and and it makes me wonder how many people that either witnessed the curtain ripping or were heard about it soon after were like oh yeah this is this guy's the son of god like if that how much that one
0: for those who are listening who don't necessarily know the significance It was probably last year, one of the things that really struck me about this whole curtain is that this curtain, I don't know if it's probably not the same curtain that Moses created because there's been, I mean, there was a tabernacle, but basically Mm -hmm. this is a curtain that separates the Holy of Holies where God's glory dwelt Mm -hmm. within the temple. So like the temple has like these layers going into the center, which is the Holy of Holies and the curtain separates the place where the sacrifices are offered and where God's presence dwells from all the people. And only the high priest could go from outside of the curtain to the inside of the curtain and after several different... It was once a year, right? It was once a year and the the process of sacrifice and cleansing in order to be Mm -hmm. able to do that was significant. They tied a rope to the priest so that if something happened while he was in there, they could pull him out because nobody was allowed. I mean, it was like, it was the Holy of Holies, which was a significant Mm -hmm. thing. But that curtain actually first went up when Moses was still. They were still wandering in the desert, and they had a tabernacle or a tent that they were that they built under the specific instructions of God for its dimensions and all of that. And there was a holy of holies within that tabernacle that was separated from the rest of it with a curtain that Moses hung. And and you see Moses. In this passage over and over again, Moses did this just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses did this just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses did this just as the Lord had commanded him. And it says it like probably like 30 times. It says over and over again. Moses did this just as the Lord commanded him. And then at the very end it says, And Moses finished the work. And the very next line is the glory of God came and filled the temple. And um, and he dwelled there from from then on. Like that was mm-hmm. that was the place where God dwelled with his people, which was like and he dwelt among them in a tent Mm -hmm. so anyway that curtain that he hung was the last thing that he hung and that was the finishing touch that went on this thing where then god dwelt with his people and he was contained contained i say in quotes in this holy of holies where they would go to meet with him and offer sacrifices for millennia and then we see jesus doing just as god had commanded him just as god had commanded him just as com- god had commanded him for his entire life and then jesus says it's finished mm-hmm. and when, when jesus says it's finished and breathes his last mm-hmm. that same curtain that moses hung gets torn by god that's the part that's the part that's yeah. significant it gets torn in two from top to bottom which means no human hands tore it like god tore it open and was like and now i dwell with my people like now I really I dwell in and among my people they are my presence is in them and with them and I just it's the it's the gospel that's how badly God wanted to be with us that he gave his son to be that final sacrifice so that the holy of holies now dwells in us like we have access to access all of God it's profound and awesome. And I don't spend nearly enough time thinking about that finished work of Christ. So, so cool. Yeah. That's the recap. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.